you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Reading from Revelation 22. No longer will there be anything accursed but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is God's word. You may be seated. This wind. Tonight we are, it's not really night, it's not tonight, it's like this afternoon, but that seems too early too. Whenever we are. Um, tonight we're looking at, I said it again, the life everlasting. And amen, that's actually, um, that's part of it. It's the, uh, the nice culmination of our teaching. This is the last teaching that we have in the Apostles' Creed. Can you believe it? We made it. Made all the way through. The Lord tarried, and we are here. So, and here we are. Some of you wish that he did not, but here we are. Last week, we looked at, discussed the resurrection, uh, resurrection of the body. And honestly, this week's topic uh, probably should have gone with it. Uh, Could have been rolled in there. It was nice to be able to break it up a little bit. And um, would have made last week's really long. So... It's good that we didn't. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of amazing to see where we are now versus where we were, where we started the Apostles' Creed. And uh, I am hoping that this has been a, an impactful series for you all. I have really enjoyed going through all of these different um, topics, these different lines out of the Creed. How many of you have it now memorized the creed almost you go throw almost in there yeah that's good and i think we'll benefit from that for sure you know this morning just like most mornings i woke up before everybody that's what i normally do Uh, i was able to have a few minutes to sit to pray and read a little bit and i thought for a second just how quiet it was which is not normal I've got four kids, so that's rare. It's rare to have that time. So peaceful. I just sat for a second, and I'll admit to just sitting there and not thinking or doing anything, just sitting there and kind of enjoying the peace and the quiet. And um, as I was thinking about it, just kind of recognizing that that kind of peace, you know, is kind of rare in our house, as I said, but that peace that we had that morning was really a piece that I, I w- with anticipation, I, I kind of felt like someone was going to wake up pretty much at any time. And um, thinking about that, that type of peace, that type of quiet, I was sort of struck by 
that idea, the idea of a peace with anticipation. And honestly, it made me think of death. That sounded weird. But in the scriptures, it talks about there is a kind of peace that we have as believers, right? We don't mourn like those who have no hope. Death is sort of akin to that kind of peace, a peace that we have when we are asleep with anticipation. In fact, a lot of times in the New Testament, those who have fallen asleep, that's how they describe those who have died. They've fallen asleep and they are peaceful. And we can have a peace and part of that is anticipation, and the anticipation is they're not going to stay asleep, right? And normally when someone's asleep, the anticipation is they're going to wake up. And that really is the concept of death for those who are redeemed. For us, death is not the same. It doesn't carry the same feeling or impact or I don't want to say weight because it still has the weight, but it's different because there's an anticipation. That's very much not like the world. I don't know of very many people in the world who have a peace in death experiencing death, thinking about death. We definitely don't do well with that in our culture. We don't really talk about it. Um, Tiptoe around it. Don't know what to do with it, culturally. But according to the truth, we actually do know. And so then when we look out at the world, I mean, we can't really blame them for not having some kind of peace with death. They don't have any hope. At least not one prescribed, not one that they can solidly hang on to, hold on to, and understand. The world always finds, and I'm using the word world as in pretty much everything outside of Christianity, those who follow Jesus. Right? So the whole gambit, right? Those who have some sort of faith understanding of something or an affiliation or those with nothing. But the world seems to be able to always find something and to not just worry about, to be, but to be fearful of, to be scared of. Most of those do have to do with death. Every generation has some sort of physical or existential threat to be scared of. Every generation does, whether it's the Red Scare or a foreign war or the invasion of the Visigoths. Something. There's always something. There's always something that is so large and looming and scary and fearful that everyone has something to be afraid of. 
And when you are not reminded of that, there's smaller ones. There's smaller ones we gather along the way in our smaller communities to be afraid of. And that's the way of the world. That's just how it goes. And for the for people who have that kind of outset, it really hinges on this concept, this idea of the unredeemed view of the world, their perspective. For us, we have the promise of new life. We have a promise of new life that is based on the rock-solid proof of the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection is going to happen. It's, it's the proof, and there are some people who try to deny it, but it's even historically verified. Yeah, this thing happened, and they responded to it. They didn't know what to do with it. It's the fact that Jesus isn't dead anymore. So this thing, this life everlasting is a really foreign idea to the world. And like we talked about last week, it is the thing that everyone is trying to find. They're trying to find that hero to give them this, some way to escape fear and death. And we have it. That promise of new life is wrapped up in the resurrection but as scripture talks about it, talks about us receiving eternal life, right? What's the, what's the verse that they put up at all the, all the games on signs? John 3.16, what is that? Some, someone just say it out loud, loud and proud. Let me hear it. That's right. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. I learned in old King James. So, whosoever shall believe in him should not perish, but have what? Oh, we remember that one. Everlasting life. See, everlasting life is not just another day. Right? We get to the end, and then we just have one more. That's infinity. Right? That, that's not eternal. That's infinity. That's different. Eternal is not just quantity, even though it's kind of included. It is quality. An eternal life is different than just an immortal life. Part of that for us is that assurance, that assurance that we will live Colossians chapter 3, turn with me if you still have those book things. If not, I think you will be assisted up on the screen. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. couple things to point out here. Any, any uh, English buffs or teachers or anything? No? Anyone love grammar? Just, just love it. Anybody? Jo Joan? David? Yes. Yes. More people need to love grammar. Um... 
Grammar is important. Look at this here. Verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ. What does that sound like? What tense is that? It sounds like it happened in the past. Has it happened in the past? If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. If it had already happened, don't you think we would have already experienced those things that are above? Where Christ is seated? There's something here. There's something here that's very odd. It talks about us having already been raised with Christ, and yet I don't feel like I have been raised with Christ. I am still in this body. And yet, what, are, what is going on here? What is being discussed? What we're talking about is that eternal quality kind of life. It's the kind of quality of life that we actually have access to now. Look at verse 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now think about this. Oh, I didn't ask the question. What tense is that? Yes, past tense. For you have died. I don't feel dead. Sometimes I do. Right now I don't. I don't feel dead. It says, for you have died, and your life is hidden in Christ and God. What we're seeing here is an explanation of what that eternal kind of life looks like. Anyone like samurais? I like samurais. Still David. David, is, David raises his hand whatever question I ask. That's great. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think samurais are really cool. And I've studied a little bit of their philosophy. What's so interesting is it actually kind of lines up with a little bit of some of this thinking. See, when you would have a samurai warrior who would come under the a master, it would pledge fealty to a master, sort of like knights and kings or knights and nobles and things like that. They would actually regard themselves. This is part of the thing that they would say. They regard themselves as already dead in order to serve this master. Why? If you read through some of their philosophy, what they say is, is that if a master says to a samurai, you need to charge that hill of a thousand warriors, even if it's just one man, he would just say, sure. He would just run. He would do it. What it gives you is the ability to be completely and totally obedient. Why? Because you're already dead. <laughs> you're already dead. You have already considered your life is already spent, and now it is only for the living out of this, this promise. And in, in the case of the samurai to that, to that master, in our case, we are to already regard ourselves as dead, already having been risen. Why? So that we can live the appropriate kind of life now. So if we already regard ourselves as dead, whatever's going on, I don't know if the Visigoths are still a thing, probably not. But if they were and they were going to invade, would I really be that scared if I was already dead? If I already had been raised in Christ, what would that, what would that do for me? 
It kind of changes the entire scenario for me. And that's kind of the point. An eternal kind of life takes this into account. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 2.9 real quick. First Corinthians 2 9. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, no heart of man imagined what God has prepared for him. I'm sorry, pre- uh, prepared for those who love him. This is one of those classic places to look to say, well, what's it going to be like? To say, like, you, you can't even imagine it. You don't even know. We don't even know. It's, it's beyond our thinking what is promised for us, to us for those who are found in him. And so we're starting to build up this kind of thinking and and sort of scenario for us to live. How do we live this eternal life? First, we regard ourselves as dead. Second, regard ourselves as having been risen. Third, we know what we're going to get, kind of. Categorically, we know it is going to be an eternal quality life then too. But it is something we can't even imagine. Beyond what we can think. This eternal life is not just for the future. This eternal life, this everlasting life, is for us now as well. 1 John 5 gives us a little window of this as well. First John 5, starting verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life and the life that is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. I'm going to stop there for a second. That's really it. If we have the Son, we have life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. Therefore, that sets up our scenario. That's it. We don't don't really need much else. What we have, we have been given. Right? We've, we've already died. We died in Christ. We've already been raised. We've got promises we can't even imagine. If we have Christ, we have life. If someone doesn't have Christ, they don't. That's the scenario. You know why there's not more details given for things like evangelism and how church should be done and these different things? Because it's just, it's just that. You just live in light of this. You live in light of this being true. And now you just live accordingly. So what do you do? That's that kind of life we need to live. The eternal life is not just trying for us to, you know, us trying to remain ignorant of things that are fearful. It's not like all of a sudden the things around us or in our community, in our world don't matter. They're still there. We don't ignore them. That's not the point. But the point is, is that they're put in perspective. They're put in their proper place. And for us, we need to live that eternal quality type of life, recognizing what has happened in the past, recognizing the position that we have in Christ, and recognizing that those outside of Christ don't have any of those things. And it is so easy to get distracted, to forget what we are supposed to be doing. First Corinthians chapter 15. Let's 
Look at verse 54. When the perishable puts on imperishable, and the mortal and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, therefore, got to pay attention when it says therefore. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord, I'm sorry, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This leads us to ask the most theological question that you can ask. So what? So what? You could also ask, how, how then shall we live? What shall we do? That kind of moves us to the last word in our creed, which is amen. Actually, we're going to have a whole sermon on just amen, which you could. Anyone know what amen means? So be it. And let it be. What... Um, we don't normally use it in normal speech. Normal, I don't know, maybe you do. Maybe you're like super Baptist and use it all the time. But when do we normally say amen? And a prayer. Okay, so is the Apostles' Creed a prayer? I mean, it doesn't fit what we normally pray. But in one way, it kind of is. It's kind of a declarative prayer. So in the Lord's Prayer, you're supposed to just declare, that, Lord, you're holy. Right? Declare holy things about the Lord. That, that's sort of what this is. The statements that are made, these are foundational principles for the followers of Jesus, for the church. Now, the sad thing is, there are many, many churches that recite the Apostles' Creed and it means nothing. They just say it. They just say it because they've always said it. Sometimes they say it, and then they hear a teaching that's in opposition to what they just heard in the creed. That happens probably more often than you would think. And yet there are people who's part of their testimony as a group in a church, and I don't remember anything that was ever said, but I remember the Apostles' Creed. And it becomes this foundational nugget that the Lord uses in their heart and in their life. These things that we've walked through, these are foundational principles for us to understand. They're, they're launching off points. One of the hearts, that sounds weird, one of the hearts that we had, we, I don't know. One of the thoughts behind this, one of the, the intentions was that we would go through the creed in a slow, methodical way so that when we did recite it, it would have a meaning. We'd say a word and it would, it would, we'd be able to remember something, a, a part of a, a teaching or something deeper or another, a, a verse that, that aligned with that or part of another teaching so that these, these have meanings, have more meaning to us than just something recited. But what's more than that is that this, this, this creed that we've been going through, 
um, so many of us now have a foundational piece of theology we can take with us. I've, I've said this before. Um, the best theology you can have is the one you got in your pocket. Not, not meaning a piece of paper, just meaning something that you can take and take with you. That's the best theology you can, you can have. And the creed really can be that. What it does for us is someone can ask us something about the Lord, and you say, even if you don't know anything else, and you can say parts of the creed, you at least can say a thing that is true. And let's just be honest. That's really the goal of good preaching, good teaching, is just say something true. And then have a good conclusion and then get them out. Right? The creed is really a way for us to think through these different principles so that we can live these eternal principles. We can live that eternal life now. Having some of these things taught through being able to go to different parts of Scripture allow us to make decisions, to have conversations, to be able to put feet to our faith. We don't just say, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus, and someone asks us some details. We say, I have no idea. It's not the end. It's a springboard to righteousness, to holiness, generous life, a self-denial type of living that really is foundational for an eternal kind of life. We truly serve a Lord that is generational, right? We didn't just discover Jesus today or last week or 10 years ago. What we know and understand comes from the generation before and the generation before that, right? Lord preserved his word and gave us people to be examples, and that's really what we're intending to be. That's an eternal kind of life, is living those things out so others can see that, is building that heritage type of faith. That yes, every generation should take that faith and examine it afresh, and they should be able to come to the same conclusion that we've come to through us living out those principles, living those things. We have to live these principles in our faith so that that next generation of the assembled redeemer will know how to walk. They can follow in some kind of footsteps. They can find some kind of pattern to live that life. And I pray, and I pray this often for us as believers here in 2021, this part of California at this time, that we would not be the weak link in that heritage. That we would hold on to those things that are true. And that we would run. We'd run hard like we're actually going to win. And when it comes time, we'll know when to let go of the baton so that race can continue. And that's really our, our point and that's our purpose. And so when we say that, amen, really do mean let let it be so let that be it let that be how we live let that be how we live that in front of others let's live that eternal kind of life and let's do it together whatever it looks like 10 years 15 years from now 20 years from now there's gonna be a whole different set of things to think through but you know what we're still gonna be trusting in the same savior still living that same life, still making those same decisions, tough decisions, difficult things 
that we might be able to hand a good faith out. Back to Revelation 22. There will come a day when it will finally be done. It will finally be complete. There will be a day when we can actually finally rest and experience that peace that we were expecting. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of his Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of the lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. Father, thank you for these promises. Lord, thank you for this time we've been able to spend in this series to go through these different principles, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you have given us your word, that you have given us good examples. I pray, Lord, that we would make this commitment that our life, Lord, is found in you, that we have died in you, and we look forward to that resurrection. Lord, I pray that we would live lives boldly knowing that there is nothing that the world can do. There is no threat that cannot be overcome. There is no obstacle that can force us to stumble, Lord. But, Lord, I pray that we would fulfill what you've called us to do, which is to live a life and to live that eternal life in light of you and live that before others. Lord, I pray that it would stir within us a renewed, Lord, feeling of responsibility to share the gospel that we know to be true with those who are around us, Lord. Lord, there are so many things in this world that we cannot fix. There are so many things in this world that we are powerless against, and yet you have given us a gospel, and we follow a Lord that is powerful. And so, Lord, I pray that we would love our neighbor, we would love you, Lord, and that we would be Lord, fitting servants for you. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus.